Welcome to Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We are so glad you could join us today. The Crosstalk podcast is in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And now, here are your hosts, Charles and Daniel. Good to be with you this week as we continue to land the plane on church history. And I'm just going to pause by saying that for a moment. I feel like we're a a, a preacher who says, and in closing, <laughs> but he's still got, you know, two more points or whatever he right. has. Um, you said that I, once already. I've right? said that, I think, probably over the last <laughs> couple of weeks. And it's true. This, these next two weeks, this recording and the next, will be our last on Which Church is not history. to say there's not more to say. Oh, no. But we have belabored the point. Well, not only that, but we've, we've said from the beginning, we're only doing an overview, which is crazy because yeah. we started right. back at, you know, right. spring of this year. So, anyway... As we continue to land the plane on church history over the next couple weeks, one thing we have not covered is denominationalism, and it can be a hot topic uh, and one that demands our attention and focus, I think, for that reason. Not only because it is a hot topic among you know modern evangelicals, but I do think history tells us something of the importance of denominationalism. And I think we're going to talk about that, so well, I don't want know, to get into question, it. The question among especially recent generations, <clears throat> the last two or three generations that come up, Xers, Zers, whatever, is they just don't see the point. Who cares? You know, who cares what you are? But there, we'll see that there is an importance to this. Yes, and I think one of the things that comes down to is, as many people say, why do we even need them? Or better yet, where did they come from? So I think we're going to answer both of those questions today, uh, hopefully clearly. Um, if you have other questions, as I always say, email us, um, info at visionforliving.org, and you can or shoot us a message on any of our social media platforms. I would say private messages, and we can respond back. Mm-hmm. But today, let's jump into this. We're going to talk about church history and denominationalism. So to start with that, I think we really have to look at pre-Reformation, or as we've talked about, pre-Reformation Christianity in, under, to, in order to understand how we got to where we're at today. So let's look at pre-Reformation Christianity, and what does that say to us in the development of denominationalism? Well, the, there was first an evolution that happened to the church, and we see that in the Bible. When you look at uh, the first century, basically you have something of a history of the church in the first century in the book of Acts and in the letters that are written, uh, the book of Revelation and the three letters of John were written right at the end of the first century. So by the time you get to the end of the first century, the, the ecclesiologically, church-wise, what church practice and so forth is pretty much developed. And we see those things show up in the pastoral epistles. So, but after that, I mean, the, the apostles are gone. They die. Those who worked closely with them are there for a little while, then they die. But what you begin to see is an evolutionary process, a process of change that, that happens probably with, that's unavoidable. And in that change, some good things happen. And some, and even later a lot, of bad things happen. And you're talking about even before the development of the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, well, yeah. this is part of that development. It's right. just not as noticeable till you get up to, say, Constantine. And we won't go into all those Well, we specifics. already did that, so there's no we, need to go into that. that. <laughs> yeah. But when you get to Constantine, at that point, you, you're now beginning to see a more monolithic uh, 
institution, and we'll we'll bring that up again later. So, but you're seeing things develop like um, infant baptism. You don't hear of that in within the Catholic Church. Yeah, you don't hear that in in the Bible. Uh, Contrary to uh, our Presbyterian brothers. Uh, you know, I'm sure it'd be great to be here. You don't see it per se in the right. Bible. Other things, there are other things you don't see that become a part of practice. And um, we had the development of things like um, um, transubstantiation, those right. things. I was going to say the sacraments and yeah, how that developed into those kinds of things. The so there's this evolution yeah. that goes on. And uh, so there is a change happening. That then you're seeing what I use the a term a moment ago, this institutionalizing of the church with Constantine, with the power of the Roman church, particularly, and people looking up to the the elder or pastor or bishop of the Roman church, now you're beginning to see centralization of – A very much a, a governmental aspect of it. Yeah, it, 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 it's State not there yet, almost, but yeah. it's coming. Yeah. People look to a particular person or persons in a particular place because they have influence. They, Rome has influence because it has stood there for so long as, as an important city. Well, so but st- it's interesting you say that because by the time you get to the Dark Ages, which we've obviously covered, um, you, you have a situation to where people are ignorant. There's not a lot of education. I mean, genuine education, right. people be able to read and write. And so the institutionalizing of the church is so large that you cannot operate without it. Right. The, the educated people have the upper hand. Right. It's the common man. He doesn't have a Bible in his own language. Um, so so you're seeing the centralization of authority, of of power, of ability to make ecclesiastical or church decisions. And so there's an institutionalization going on there. Uh, and then as a result of that, and because it's not biblically based per se, we see a perversion of the church. So that by the time we get to um, the middle of the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, the say the the 9th, 10th, 11th centuries, <clears throat> now there's political involvement. There's popes having sway over kings, right. uh, over kingdoms. And uh, so you, you have, um, by the time we get through the Dark Ages, we've, we've got a perverse uh, monolithic structure of a church. It's, right. it's not what we saw in the New Testament this is what has evolved over time. Well, if you go back to our look at the Catholic Church and things like the sale of indulgence and how we were giving people false security for salvation and helping people who didn't have salvation but were in a purgatory right. and somehow could get them out, out of that. And that sort of thing. All of those things are a perversion of what we now know to be wrong. Right. Are anti-biblical. Well, it's not to say there weren't groups during that time. We talked about those groups. Right. There were splinter groups, but they never got much traction. They may have had some influence here or there. And you had good men like Augustine, whose theology affected the whole Western Church, and many of us who are of a Reformed bent would, would call ourselves Augustinian. Right. Uh, but by and large, the church was this monolithic institution. It was this great institution that oversaw Christianity. And you're not talking about that in a positive light at all. That Protestantism did not exist. Right. Uh, 
There wasn't anything else. This was it. So we have pre-Reformation Christianity, and if you didn't listen to anything that we said before listening to this episode, I'd highly encourage you to go back and listen because right, it'll because get a lot of context yeah. <laughs> to what we're talking about. But all that to say is, is that before the Reformation, there was no option. If you want to ba- boil it down, there was no, no option. You, you were Catholic. If you yeah. were Christian, you were and Catholic. And if you didn't agree with it, that meant ostracization, maybe even death. So yeah. it could very well be. And we saw that head. as we moved yeah. into the Reformation. Yeah. So okay, so pre Reformation Christianity leads us down the path of why denominationalism developed. Number two, accomplishments in the Reformation or to the Reformation. What is what does that have to do with this? Well of course before the Reformation actually happened, you had some men like John Huss and John Wycliffe and others who were seeing issues, problems with the fact that scripture was not the final authority, that People didn't have the scriptures in their own language, people right. like Tyndale and others. Um, so you had that run-up to the Reformation. But then, of course, we have the Luther and his 95 Theses and t- nailed to the door. Is, at is he the hinge point of Reformation? Is yeah. that safe to say that? That's that's the kickoff. I yeah. Mean, yeah, historically. Even the guys leading up to that. But he's not just point, him. Yeah. We have John Calvin. We have uh, Zwingli and others. John Knox in England and you know, Scotland. So uh, a Two major things that de- that that um, uh, affect denominational development. One is what came out of the, the accomplishments of the Reformation regarding salvation, what we call in theological discussion soteriology, uh, and we've we've talked about <clears throat> the five solas: grace alone, faith alone, you know, Christ alone, and. Uh, Scripture alone, and um, so so that brought the whole discussion of salvation to the front. Was salvation in an institution, the right. Catholic Church, or was it in Christ? And if it's in Christ, what does that mean? How is that affected? How uh, how does what does it look like? That whole discussion came up, and of course. Men like Luther, who said whose big hallmark was uh, faith alone, uh, salvation by faith, uh, and through by grace through faith. Then you have um, uh, Calvin, who pushes this also. Uh, he they're seeing that people are trusting an institution and not trusting in Christ, and so you have this. This development on the salvation front, on the gospel front. What is the gospel? That 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 clarification comes out of the Reformation. The other thing that comes out is some ecclesiological or, or ideas regarding church and what what is church? Uh, definition of church is church a monolithic institution, a building, a centralized power, right, right. which it had been for all everybody knew. Or is it something else? That discussion, what is church? Oh, so, so now, and for, so for Luther, out of Luther's um, teaching and out of his protest came Lutheranism. Out yeah. of Calvin came Presbyterianism. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. And we talked, uh, I don't know if it was a week or two ago, I can't remember, um, about John Wesley. And, of course, Methodism came out of John Wesley and his brother. But, but, he, I, but he was – he was uh, Church of England before. Right. That. Yeah. But all, all that to say is 
It's interesting if you go back and look at Luther and some of these reformers, they actually didn't necessarily want to pull away from the Catholic Church. Yeah, that point's important. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. They weren't looking to just be like, "Hey, by gone, we're going to do our own thing." It, it really came out of necessity. Yeah, it, nothing else could happen. Yeah, there was nothing you could move any forward. They had hit the the wall, and there was no, they were going they were nowhere. Reformers, else. not eradicators. Right. They didn't want to eradicate. That not originally. I mean, right. Luther, he, he wanted he, his ninety-five theses on the door. There were meant to be considered. The whole right. point was think. Let's think about these things. These are important things. The church ought to look into these things and reform yeah. regarding these things. But as we know, the Catholic Church was not interested in reform. There were reforms, but they were right. Uh, on, on the whole, insignificant. They did not want to change their view of salvation. They did not want to change their view of the church itself and the nature of the church and other things. So so what the what the Reformation accomplished was um, a, a biblical approach to salvation and a biblical approach to church. Now, not all those guys look like us today, right. but, but this got us moving in that direction. So we have pre-Reformation, we have the accomplishments leading to the Reformation or in the Reformation, and then we have what we would call post-Reformation Christianity, which we've been in since the Reformation ended, right. so to speak. We are now in a post-Reformation era. Yeah, I think this is where we're really going to start to answer the question. We've led up to it. Tell yeah. me if I'm wrong, but I think I think we'll really begin to hopefully answer the question for people. Well, the Reformation did at least three things. It did a number of things, but we're going to look at three with regards to nominations. First, it opened the door for argument. When we say argument, we don't just you know we think of arguments. We right. tend to think of two people disagreeing and having a heated in a very vehement way <laughs> going at each other right. argument by that we mean discussing what we believe think bringing up another view and so there was no argument with the catholic church but with the with the reformation came the open door for argument i would, you know it's interesting anyone listen who struggles with denominationalism and, and I think I know why most people do, because they see it as something that divides as opposed to unites. And or, that is true. And, and that can be true. That's not yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important for those of us who are considering this issue to understand that the fact that you could now have an argument about something and discuss something in an open manner, even in a civilized manner, that was not even possible. <laughs> so we have to ask ourselves a question. Do we want to go back to that? Do we want to go back to the Catholic Church being well, the no, there was no discussion. all-knowing, you cannot question them ever? Yeah. I, I don't think so. And, and so I think what we're trying to say here, and we're going to move more into this, is that the fact that denominationalism came out of the Reformation is a good thing, is a positive thing, because it means now people are saying, well, I'm not sure I agree with that. And they go to the Scriptures, and they're looking at it and thinking for themselves. I mean, that really takes you back to the priesthood of believers. Yeah, and of course we know that one of the things that came about during this period of Reformation was, of course, the printing press, the printing of the Bible, and then the translation of the Bible into languages people could understand. Now, the common man could read it and say, yeah, but it says this. (laughs) Do you think there's a correlation between what happened in the West, meaning the exploration to the West, and obviously, ultimately, what we know now is the United States of America. Do you think the exploration to the West and what happened in the Reformation and denominationalism 
Do they all coincide in some way? Because what we've got, at least what appears to me is, is now we're questioning authority in a good way. Not we're not we're not discounting authority. We're questioning authority's absoluteness in the sense that they know it all. Yeah, I I think what you have is the question of an institution, the question of, as you said, absolute authority, because now people have the authority, which is Scripture, Scripture alone. When you have now the source of authority, where you, now you have – when finished sentences here, but <laughs> when you have um, an authority that gets, tells you what God said, instead of a man – on a throne, robed in ornate uh, accoutrements. Right. <laughs> you know, we have this. The Bible says this. You know, and, and you can read it and see for yourself. Things like the priesthood of the believer, the autonomy of each local church, those kinds of things. Um, now people are having these arguments, these discussions, which then paves the way for difference. Well, now, I, as far I, I, as as far as the West goes in exploration, yeah. you asked that and get to that. Westward migration turned out to be primarily Protestant. Oh, it absolutely. wasn't originally absolutely. Christopher Columbus was Catholic, right? And he was, but so much so that Catholicism was suspect in much of the United States. We didn't have a Catholic president until John Kennedy. I mean, people didn't trust that's just Catholics. Fact. I mean, that's just the way it yeah, was. Uh, yeah, so for better for worse. It was Protestant. <laughs> so but my, that only shows what a what a change and what a all shift, of that together a huge did. shift. I mean, you look at the Reformation, you see the things like the printing press, which we talked about, and people being able to get out and read their own books and yeah. think for themselves. Yeah. It not only exploded the church. In denominationalism, factions, not maybe factions is not a good word, different sects, different groups of people, but it also allowed for progress to happen within society that was unparalleled. Right. Because you didn't have the restraint of one centralized authority saying, no, you can't do that. We Which can't go there. actually led back to the church. So, so what then happened as a result of this open door for argument, <clears throat> this paving the way for difference – out of almost uh, un, um, there was no way you weren't going to have different groups. Say, right. well, this is what we believe. It was believe. unavoidable. And people say, well, should we have denominations? They are, in a sense, unavoidable. Right. Unless, and you and I talked about this before we came on, one of two things happens. We go back to the monolithic, institutionalized Roman Catholic model. Or we say our theological differences don't matter. If we know theology, if we know biblical teaching, we all have certain biblical views. Let's just take Baptists believe in and believers' baptism. Presbyterians believe in paedo-baptism. Um, neither of us want to lay aside our view. Right. Both of us agree on the authority of Scripture. On the gospel, on the gospel itself, on what it takes well, to, to evangelical be Presbyterians do, <laughs> not liberal Presbyterians. Yeah. Um, so uh, they are, and 
unavoidable unless you are willing to say, when I say you, I'm talking about our listeners and right, us, right, right. unless I am willing to say, that doesn't matter to me. Well, if it doesn't matter to you, you're probably not thinking. You haven't thought it through. Thinking Christians are going to have views on biblical subjects. And how could they not? And because of that, they're going to go to the church that agrees with their view. Now, you may not call it Baptist or Presbyterian. You may not call it anything. But you believe something. But and you believe something. It will identify you one way yeah. or another. Yeah. You know, so we ask ourselves, what do we believe? And we go where that is. That's denominationalism, where you call it by the names we're used to or not. You know, we've, we live in a day when we've gotten away from people don't want to be called a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church. Oh, that's Grace Church or that's right. that's um, whatever church, you know, Covenant Church. Okay, but, you know, if I go there, what I'm going to ask what do you teach about this? Right. What do you teach about that? Because I want to know. What do you hold regarding this? And if they don't hold what I feel is biblical, I'm going to go to a church that does. Right. That's denominationalism, whatever you call it. Whether you put a name on it. You can call it something else if you want. So, so, so basically, that was, it was an unavoidable development after the Reformation. And thank the Lord for it. Yeah. Well, because if not, we might still be sitting under the power of the Roman church. Right, we you know things happen. God is sovereign, or we might be sitting and not be able to read and write and enjoy Maybe. the yeah. the developments of that. What are the alternatives to Matt. no argument, no differences, right, no discussion, no personal priesthood of the believer and local church autonomy where we can say under God this is what we hold to and we'll stand before him with that. What if you don't have that? No, we don't stand before the Pope. We stand before God. Well, and I think there's a crisis for just the American people of that right now within their governmental system and how we operate and and view our government. So it's interesting that we as Christians, as we think about this issue of the need for argument and even disagreement, good and godly difference, we like to say, that it's important for us to remember this as we're involved in these discussions both on our political spectrum, but then more importantly, the local church and how we operate. Having these differences and these discussions are a good thing. And if you're not willing to have those, then you need to check yourself. You really do. You need to check your heart and say, okay, am I getting in the Word? Am I being challenged? And if I don't have an opinion on anything, what's the problem? Yep. Where do I stand? Right. And so, so in the end, I think we just say, you know, people say, well, is, are denominations good? Yes, yes, they are good. Are all denominations good? No, no. I would not say they are. <laughs> but denominationalism right. and the fact that we have denominations The is idea good. and the concept of it is it's not bad. Good and necessary. Amen. Well, I think that's all we need to say on that. Um, I'm done. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> and then that means we have one more week and then we're done with, with this, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless, of course, yeah, we're done. We're done. <laughs> okay. Well, do, we do appreciate you being with us, and we'll look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us today. You can always visit us on the web at crosstalkpodcast.org. Crosstalk is produced by Vision for Living Ministries, a nonprofit organization. This podcast is a free resource, but you can support us financially through our website. For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website at visionforliving.org, where you will find more great resources. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vision for Living or on Twitter, at V4L. 
We also love to hear from our listeners. You can email us anytime at info at visionforliving.org. Be sure to join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond.